morning we are going to continue on in Colossians 3. If my voice sounds funny, it's because we live in Pollenville, America. I feel like the inside of my lungs probably look like a tennis ball at this point. And uh, I may lose my voice while doing this. So we'll just have to trust the Lord that he will make sense of what's being said and where we end. Um, but this morning we're going to be in Colossians 3 and looking at uh, a verse, verse 13. So please go there. Colossians 3, we'll read verses 12 through verses 14. And we're picking up where Randy left off last week, uh, where Paul is stating that as God's chosen people, so these are things that we need to understand about ourselves, God's chosen people, those who are holy and dearly loved, that we should be people who are beginning to be or ongoingly, ongoingly being uh, clothed in these new realities. And here they are. This is 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And the thing I want us to, golly, hot mic, I'm hot. Um, I'm not hot, the mic's hot. Um, although I have been running, uh, I'm kidding. Uh, <clears throat> wow. Uh, the first functional use that we see of these garments. I don't want us to miss this because we're going to be talking this morning about forgiveness. And this sentence, forgive as Christ forgave you, it's like an atom bomb. Um, it's something that it can kind of roll off of our tongues really easily. But if we were to, to kind of swim in the waters of the ramifications of that, um, none of us would want to get up here and do what I'm doing right now. And I, in some ways, don't want to. I don't feel worthy of getting up here and doing and saying what I'm about to say now. But that's kind of the point. The Lord has done something so profound on our behalf uh, and that our lives are going to be the journey to understand the depth of that forgiveness. So the first functional use, though, of these garments, when he says be clothed in these things, in compassion, in kindness, in humility, in gentleness, and patience, the first thing he's calling us to is forgiveness. And he's comparing that forgiveness when he says bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. He's saying that these things are comparable to how the Lord has forgiven us. That's how this should work itself out in our lives. That these new dispositions, which are actually, they're a working of Christ in you through the Holy Spirit. They find their maximum expression in forgiveness. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if I say that word, most of you, I would think, if we can walk in here with any kind of gospel sobriety and realism, would admit that we really struggle with this. This is not an easy topic. This is a big gulp topic. And we probably have people in our past that we have really struggled to extend forgiveness to. And in fact, maybe we have hurt people in the past and that has destroyed relationships and forgiveness maybe hasn't been extended our way. Before we kind of hop into this text, I'm just going to highlight, I think, a few things today. Uh, I'd like to frame what I believe is kind of a root problem for why we struggle with that. 
So I'm going to kind of talk about that problem, and then I'm going to talk about a couple characteristics of what Paul's getting at here, and then maybe we're going to go back into that problem. So, and the problem is this, is that we struggle to make a crucial separation <coughs> or distinction between the offense that was done to us, the sin that was done to us, or the sin that we did to someone else, and the pain that gets created by that offense. And I'd encourage you to consider that this morning, that, that you and I struggle to make that distinction between what actually happened and then the ongoing residual pain that's a result of what has happened. See, many people would say this, I cannot forgive them because I'm still in pain because of what they have done to me. Can you relate to that? I just, I don't feel like I can forgive them yet because I'm still in so much pain because of what they've done. Or the flip side of that is some people feel guilty <coughs> and they say things like this, like I've really wanted to forgive them. I really desire that, I'm willing to do that. But I must not have done that yet because I still feel hurt about that. It still causes me pain sometimes when I think about it. Therefore, I must not have actually forgiven them. This is the principle that is at work in what I'm talking about. If I have forgiven them, I wouldn't be in pain. Or I have to feel no more pain in order to forgive them. Hear me say this morning that, that the statement of Paul, forgive as Christ forgave you, comes in and explodes that. That forgiveness can be extended for offenses that we do and have done to us. And yet the pain of that offense can oftentimes and does remain for quite some time, even a lifetime. I would suggest that the healing of pain, we're going to get back into the text here in a sec, but follow me on this because I think this is going to help us understand this. The healing of the pain is something that is initially dependent or it's sparked upon the act of forgiveness, the choice to forgive. That unless you forgive, that initial healing for you, not just for the individual needing to be forgiven, the healing that you need from the wounds that have been done to you cannot begin. But the healing of that pain in its entirety which is what I hear myself and most people around me say, until I completely feel okay about this. It's a crazy expectation. The healing of the pain in that in its entirety, it may take years, it may even take a lifetime. What I'm saying to you this morning, what I think Paul's inviting us to understand, he's inviting the Colossian church to understand, which is a very divided church, guys, is being infiltrated by false teaching, these people were becoming very confused about who Jesus was and who they were. Forgiveness is for you to begin to heal as as much as it is for the person who's offended you and vice versa. Now, we see it. We can look around. We even have friends. I don't know. I can look in my own life. I don't have to look outside my own life. People who don't forgive, who literally become a ghost walking the halls of their past, everything in their life is viewed through the lens of this has been done to me. 
Patty Griffin says it in her song, or I don't know whether she says this, but this is how I understand her lyrics and forgiveness. It says, we're swimming with the snakes at the bottom of the well, so silent and peaceful in the darkness where we fell. But we are not snakes, and once more, we never will be. But if we keep swimming here, down here forever, we'll never be free. What's happened for us in Christ is he's changed our identity. Paul's been writing this throughout the book of Colossians. This is not who you are anymore. But if you keep swimming down here, you will not be free. So let's get back into the text and look at a couple things that I believe Paul is inviting us to understand. I'm going to take a drink. Which I believe gives us the grounds to begin to be people marked by forgiveness, which is a command here, guys. He's not giving us an option. He's saying forgive. People marked by forgiveness and people who start to heal from the pain of what's been done to us and what we've done to others. <clears throat> the first thing is this. Paul's assumption of the reality that we will hurt one another and therefore need to bear with one another and forgive one another. He assumes this. We'll let's talk about this in verse 13. And then the second thing is, what is the essence of Paul's command that we are to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us? And there are two terms. You can write them down if you want to write things down. But it's identification to identify with the party that has wounded us. And then identification that leads to self-substitution. We literally begin to bear the wound of that. So I'll explain that here in a second. But the first thing, Paul's assumption of the reality. The first thing that struck me when I was saying this is there was no if. There was no if in the passage. Sometimes it's what's in scripture that should surprise us. Sometimes it's what's not there. <clears throat> and he makes it very, very clear. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. He does not say, if that happens to happen, if in relationships that occurs, then you will need to do this. Paul is a realist. He understands that in any relationship between two human beings who are fallen creatures, you are going to hurt one another. If I, if you get to know me long enough, I'll give you a reason to hate me. That's just the truth. And we do this intentionally and unintentionally. I mean, there are times, I mean, we can all look at, back in our lives and see times where I intentionally tried to hurt somebody. But there are times when even, I'm classic at this because I talk too much, uh, running my mouth and joking about something that may on the surface seem to be not a big deal, but because of the topic that I'm joking about, someone has something in their past that has to do with that topic. Um, you see, have you seen it? You see their face kind of change and you realize like, oh wow, all of a sudden this isn't nearly as funny as what I thought it was gonna be. And you begin to realize like what I'm saying and what I'm joking about, I'm unintentionally wounding that person. Now this may seem small that the fact that there is no if in there, but I would, I would challenge you to look at your relationships on a functional level <coughs> and see if you have this, this same sort of gospel realism in your life. What I'm asking you is, have you embraced the reality that grief, that the fact that we will grieve one another is a part of our relationships? Or do you spend most of your time and most of your energy hopping from relationship to relationship, looking for something that doesn't exist? a pain-free, suffering-free life. It's that giant phantom that's out there that says, maybe if I was just in the right 
small group or maybe if I had a different husband or maybe if I had a different wife or a new boyfriend or a new group of friends or maybe a new church, don't think (laughs) that this move isn't going to cause pain. People are going to get hurt. (laughs) Misunderstandings are going to occur. You're going to volunteer for something and someone's not going to thank you. And you're going to get your feelings hurt, intentionally or unintentionally. Do we recognize the tendency within ourselves to move towards relationships, to buy into the idea that we can be in relationships that are conflict-free, if they were just the right relationships? Just haven't found the right ones yet. Or maybe you're someone who just lives at a comfortable distance from everyone. I'm just going to kind of keep everyone at arm's length, including yourself. I'm going to keep myself at arm's length. Because the avoidance of suffering in relationships is the highest value in your life. I just want things to be easy and okay and comfortable. Well, Paul's making something profoundly clear here, and I would encourage you to lean into it. If you are a part of the body of Christ, if you are in Christ this morning, we are to expect the ongoing need to bear grievances, to forgive, and to be forgiven. And I would suggest this, that we can only grow to endure in that way because it's hard, guys. Let's just be fully honest. We'll talk about it here in a little bit. It is difficult to do this. But we only can grow to endure and to bear well what we expect. It's impossible to endure endless painful surprises. Paul's saying you need to expect this so that it doesn't feel like you get punched in the stomach every time someone fails you and every time you fail somebody else. So how are we taken captive by this? Why do we believe this? Why do you and I still wake up every day and think, okay, maybe today I will have a pain-free day. Maybe today all my relationships will go well. There'll be no conflict, no discord. Well, I believe Paul's inviting us to understand the how and the why of that later in this verse and when he says forgive as the Lord forgave you and I'd encourage you to focus on the as it's kind of a small little two letter word focus on the as the key is in the as forgive as the Lord forgave you because the as it highlights the difficult cost of true Christian forgiveness the pain that you will endure and have to bear on someone else's behalf because they hurt you, because they sinned against you, because you hurt them, because you sinned against them. Because <coughs> what does it mean to bear grievances? He says it very clearly. You need to do this. This is a part of it. Well, the Greek word <coughs> for bear is to take upon oneself. You'll see where we're heading with this in a second to sustain, to endure, to literally bear it upon yourself, to take it on. You see that he's beginning to open our eyes to understand that what he's calling us to is the same thing that Christ did for us, the self-substitutionary nature of what Jesus did on our behalf. He's saying because you are in Christ now, this is not only what you're called to, but this is possible. Doesn't this go against everything we learn in our culture? 
Like when I, when I really start to marinate in this, saturate in this, because the world has its own, has its own as, doesn't it? Forgive as the Lord forgives you. The world's got its own as. We forgive as what? I will forgive you as long as or when you admit that you did something wrong. Repent for your actions. Prove to me through the, your ongoing behavior. <laughs> Let's get a little penance going here. Prove to me through your ongoing behavior that you're actually sorry for what you did. And ultimately, I'll determine when you've done enough penance to be forgiven. Make restitutions, payments for your actions. Suffer as much as I have had to suffer. Then I'll forgive you. The list could go on forever. And I'd encourage you, it does go on forever if we don't walk headlong into the truth that we're talking about this morning. What the as is, forgive as the Lord forgave you, is saying that we who are in Christ now, we are called to the same degree. Remember the passage where Jesus is being questioned how many times? 70 times seven. Limitless to the same degree and nature, a self-substitution of the forgiveness that Christ enacted on our behalf. I will take a drink because that is, in fact, a hard thing to swallow. <laughs> that is not in my notes. If we truly understand how we are forgiven by God himself, if we understand the magnitude, and, and brothers and sisters, let me encourage you this morning, don't be discouraged if you don't. You'll be spending the rest of your life trying to understand this, and that's okay. But that doesn't stop us from trying, does it? Step in. If we understand none of the conditions that we just stated, the measuring sticks by which we distribute forgiveness apply. Christ's forgiveness, and this is important for us to understand this morning, it was, it's a volitional act. It's a choice. It's an act of his will. And his will is rooted in him, fueled by his deep love for us which is something that cannot be contained. God's love for us cannot be contained in what we describe as our feelings, which is how most, most of us describe love, how I feel. So let's break this down for a second. Now that we can acknowledge this, I should expect to need to forgive and be forgiven. Bearing grievances is a part of life in Christ with other Christ followers and with other people who aren't Christ followers. How do we begin to walk in the command and in the reality, forgive as the Lord forgave you? Two things, <clears throat> and they're this, and I said them earlier, identification and self-substitution. We bear grievances, we forgive through remembrance. I have to remember something. And remember, it's kind of a puny word. Uh, saturate, marinate. I have to be absolutely immersed in the reality of what has been done for me in the gospel. Because when I do that, that leads to identifying with the person who has sinned against me. And it puts us in a place to receive the grace from the Lord right then 
right there to forgive and begin to walk out healing for the pain of the offense. So let's look at this identification, the first part of the as. Identify with the offender. This is really hard, guys. It's hard to even talk about. This was going on in the Colossian church. If you look up at 3.11, it says, Paul was writing these guys and saying, you've become confused because you are identifying yourselves as, as those who are in Christ, but now you've gone back to identifying yourself as Jew and Greek, slave or free. And he's fighting for their minds at this point. He's saying, no, Christ is in all and is all. You've begun identifying yourself, creating distance between yourself as a result of things that don't matter and things that aren't real ultimately. Our natural tendency is to distance ourselves from those who harm us. I got in a car accident this week. I hit a poor girl, pulled out in front of me. Um, I was in my big truck and I did a lot of damage to her little Nissan Sentra. (coughs) And uh, it was her fault, uh, technically by the law. Uh, And it was amazing to me. I, I could tell you the inward outworkings the thoughts that went on in my mind and they're toxic <laughs> I mean they're ugly but I can, I can sum them up in one sentence um, <laughs> I'm not like her she's the type of person who makes bad driving decisions and makes things like this happen she was probably texting and painting her toenails and talking to her boyfriend and changing her CD and I mean seriously guys it's that gross it was it was like a spike immediate sense of no 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 I'm not like her she wronged me I am better than who she is I'm not like her I don't make those kind of mistakes we create distance Matthew chapter 18 <coughs> I'm going to paraphrase this for us this morning but I'd encourage you to go study this if you're looking for something to study on this topic. The parable of the unmerciful servant. What we find in this parable is something that Jesus taught um, of a king who is collecting debt uh, from a basically a sub-ruler. It says a servant, but really it's a seraph. It was somebody who ruled a portion of the kingdom underneath him. And verse 23 says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, which some scholars say it's, 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 first of all, it's an outrageous sum of money. Some people had actually thought in the billions of dollars was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children (coughs) and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. What an absurd claim. But don't we do it? Have mercy on me. I'll make it right. The servant's master took pity on him, not because he could pay it back, because he was the master. His heart went out to him is a better understanding of that word. Not just pity, because pity, it's easy to pity somebody who's, not, who's lesser than you in your mind. The real word means that his heart went out to him. He identified with the person in debt. 
And as a result, he canceled the debt and let him go. He had compassion on him. He was gentle with him. He showed humility in how he dealt with him. We know from the story that the servant went out almost immediately and found somebody who owed him money, obviously not grasping the magnitude of his forgiveness, and choked the poor guy and had him thrown in jail for owing a much, much smaller sum of money. In the text there, it says he refused to show patience, to show mercy, to cancel the debt. He took pity on him. His heart went out to him. He identified with the one in debt and he showed him mercy. You and I are invited to doing this by basic verses like Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the, of the glory of God. We are categorically together in this, guys. I have no permission to see myself as any greater than you. Christ did it, not as someone who is in the same category, but someone who chose to be made sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We see it in Hebrews 2. We see it in Philippians 2. Jesus taking on our humanity in order to satisfy the wrath of God, in order to atone for our sin, in order to show us mercy, in order to forgive us. In Hebrews 2, it says, he did this so that he would be able to help those who are being tempted. This is an important truth because I'm, I'm saying to you this morning, I have no power to extend this kind of forgiveness. I am so dependent on Jesus Christ and on what he has done for me and the movement of his Holy Spirit in my life to actually enact forgiving as he has forgiven me. Miroslav Volf says this. He's a Yale theologian. Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. <coughs> Our willingness to identify with those who have offended us, wounded us, wronged us, directly impacts our ability to actually forgive them and begin to heal. Identification leads to the humility necessary to need Jesus, guys, hear this, to need Jesus as much as the offender. <coughs> Man, sorry. And in that place of equality, of seeing ourselves as no, no better, <coughs> we receive comfort for the pain and the grace to forgive. Man, I'm sorry. up so we identify and in our identification something happens how do we do this wow I'm falling apart up here 
I need to check the time. We remember what Randy talked about last week. This is how we do it. We go back to verse 12. And we marinate in this. We saturate ourselves in this truth. We set ourselves in front of it all the time. We fix our eyes on it. That we were chosen. That we were holy. And that we were dearly loved. And that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. We pick up the cross, not because we're powerful like Jesus, but because he did it on our behalf. And we let the weight of what has been done for us lead us into his presence. And by doing that, let him heal us from the false view of ourselves that we're better than everyone else. (coughs) And birth in us compassion and kindness and humility and forgiveness. One of the most powerful stories in all wrap up with this I'm really sorry guys is Corey Ten Boom well you're familiar with her story she oh wow oh thank you I actually have a cough drop in my Tiffany will you forgive me for putting something in my mouth while I'm talking Tiffany has confronted me multiple times about chewing gum while I speak (laughs) Cortenboon was a Dutch woman um, lived during World War II she created a hiding place for the Jewish people who were obviously being uh, persecuted by the German Nazis and um, she eventually got exposed for that and her entire family got thrown into prison her father and her sister and I think almost her entire family was was killed while they were in prison and um, I encourage you to read some of her life, there's, uh, there's an actual book called The Hiding Place. But I think this quote in this section, she went on to teach quite a bit at a church and a place called Blumendahl. And she says this, she says, it was at a church in Munich that I saw him, <coughs> the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen at that time and suddenly it was all there (coughs) you hear it it was all there I saw him and it was like I was back there instantly the pain was still real the room full of mocking men the heaps of clothing Betsy my sister's pain blanched face he came up (coughs) to me as the church was emptying beaming and bowing How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often to the people in Blumendahl on the need to forgive, kept my hand at the side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, (coughs) I saw the sin of them, Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. 
not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give him your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. (coughs) From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives us, along with the command, the love itself. I have to extend forgiveness to begin to heal. As much as the person who has, who has wounded me needs to be forgiven. It's really a double identification, isn't it? And a double substitution. First with the offender, I have to identify with him. That I'm sinful and I'm capable of anything. I have to see myself, self-substitute, put myself in his shoes. See my own need, my own frailty, my own inability. And then secondly, and this is the beauty of the gospel, guys. I get the joy of identifying who I am now in Christ. Identifying with Christ himself. That I'm free to need him to forgive. In fact, I have no capacity outside him to do so. His power, his forgiveness (coughs) being extended through us and to us. This is what begins to heal us. Remember at the beginning we said this. Forgiveness is a choice. We can forgive and still feel the pain of what's happened. For the pain to be healed, you and I must embrace the truth (coughs) that in their wounding of us and in our wounding of them, that we did not in fact simply wound each other, but we sinned against God himself. And therefore our healing cannot simply come from our actions of restitution, whether we get it, whether we own it, whether we apologize, whether we perform better the next time. Our healing can't be dependent on that. Our healing must also come from God himself, just like our forgiveness. This frees us from making their response and our response to this the key not only to forgiveness, but to our healing. Expect it, guys. It's going to happen. You are going to need to bear grievances and forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you. Allow the magnitude of the gospel to humble you, that you may identify fully with those who have wronged you and begin to 
experience Christ in that place. Paul says it will be transformed into his likeness when that happens with ever-increasing glory. And we'll become people who forgive as we have been forgiven. Let me pray for us. <coughs> Lord, it's hard to grasp the magnitude of what you've done. It's overwhelming. It feels like swimming in an ocean uh, that we have no business swimming in. But Lord, you invite us into the impossible. In fact, you tell us that it's in our weakness even that you're strong. So Lord, <coughs> for some of us, <coughs> forgiving others seems impossible. We have such wounds and such pain, Lord, that, that the idea of extending forgiveness and, and beginning to heal seems like a distant dream and, and, and an unrealistic thing. But Lord, you, you did the unreal. You did the outrageous in what you did for us on the cross. You identified with us. You became human. You substituted yourself for us. You took on the full weight. You said, forgive them, Father, because they don't even know what they're doing. Lord, I pray that we could do that. Give us the grace to begin to understand the depth of what you've done. Call us into constant remembrance of the truth. Lord, that we would become a people who are marked by radical forgiveness of one another. We love you. In your name, amen.